book of Revelation, chapter 18. I'll read verses 1 through 8. In the fall of that great and terrible city, Jerusalem herself, Babylon. After these things, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich to the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen, and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, sobering words throughout this letter. But we are so often either a self-serious or frivolous people. We seem to swing between the extremes of goofiness, O oh Lord, in sorrow. We are either drunk on the sins of this world or we are so stoic that we refuse to receive your gifts. May we be a people who delight righteously in the good things that you have made, for we find our confidence and our hope in Christ who is raised. May we heed this warning given to the early church, given to the church in every age, to come away from those who bear the name holy and yet have become blind and adulterous in their covenant fellowship with you. Refine, reform, revive, awaken us this morning that we might be ever devoted to you in joy for the work of the promotion of the gospel of Christ throughout all the world. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we think about what it means to be salt and light, it is right for us to go back to Genesis 12. When God made with 
Abraham or Abram a covenant. He said very clearly that I will bless you that you might be a blessing to the nations. Built into the covenant of grace is the facility, the mechanism for worldwide church growth. That was always the design. Even before the fall, God gave to Adam and to his wife a commission, a calling, a mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. Make more of the things that I have given you. Exercise creativity within the boundaries of the commands that I have given to you. Walk in righteousness. Eat of this tree, not of this tree. Make babies and expand the garden. Christ says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, it is a kind of restatement of the creation mandate. Go into all the world. Make disciples, baptizing and teaching them. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things. The whole counsel of the word of God, which is why in this church we go book by book, as it were, precept by precept, seeking to ground our faith upon the revealed word of God. And in doing this, what we are doing is we are cranking up the lumens of the light of God's revealed will in the world. When Christ ascended into the heavenly places, he sent his Holy Spirit into the world because what the Holy Spirit was sent to do was particular to that person, the third person of the Godhead. And that was to crank up the wattage of the light that is Christ's body on earth, the church. And as we sing as children, we're going to hide it under a bushel. Oh, no. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. It's silly. But it is a lifelong principle. Whatever light God has given to us, and it is significant, we want to crank it up. We want to turn it on and make sure it stays on. And this is the way that God has made us. This is how he has chosen to reveal the light of his grace, to do so through vessels, jars of clay, in whom the Spirit resides, to show that this power does not come from, God, from man, but from God. And we are those jars, simple vessels, broken vessels, weary, tired vessels. Parents, can I get an Amen. And many of you come to church on Sunday morning. The light feels as though it is but an ember. And Christ would by his spirit fan that into a flame. Sometimes it takes time. You don't blow too hard, right? Have you ever lit a fire? It is that gentle, consistent application of spirit and truth, spirit and word that brings in us fruit that is in keeping with repentance. This is what Jerusalem was to be, a city on a hill, a place of light where you go to hear the truth. The time of the Reformation, 
John Knox had fled Scotland and went to Geneva. And on a given Sunday, while Calvin and Knox were both in the city of Geneva, one taught on one and preached on one end of the street, the other preached on the other. There in Geneva, Knox and Calvin. What do you do? Probably change my membership every Sunday. I'm going to go hear Knox. Now I'm going to go hear Calvin. Geneva shone brightly in those days where the word of God was applied to every avenue of human life. Geneva was known as a refuge for women because they could flee there, protected by elders and government fathers from violent men. The gospel, the light of God's word, has an effect when it is applied. But when it is not, when it is forsaken, when it is abandoned, and the idols of this world are embraced, there is but darkness and death. That is what Jerusalem had become. She was not a blessed place, a holy city. She was, as the angel pronounces here, a den of the devil, a city of demons, forsaken no longer even experiencing the common grace of a patient God. And this destruction should stand for us, as it did the early church, as a warning not to neglect the light of God's word. Two points that I want to make this morning. The first, fallen is that once great city. Fallen is that once great city. And then second, the call to come away the call to come away. Let's look at the first point. Fallen is that once great city. What the old bride had become was not a place of light, of refuge, of honest trade, of faithful temple worship, of the sacrifices, of a holy priesthood, of prophets being honored for their messages of God's covenant faithfulness. No, Jerusalem had, and Israel as a nation, over time, killed the prophets, rejected the word of God, and they had become a den of the devil. I've said it before in this series, and I'll remind us that Christ's great charge is leveled against Israel when he clears the temple because they had impressed upon the Gentiles the requirement that in order to come to Christ, you had to become a Jew. The buying and trading, the bartering of God's mercy with money. And so Christ goes into the Gentile courts, an expansive area that was acres acres and he overturned the tables while the youth of Israel were crying Hosanna that was what we call an act of spiritual revival that was for some welcome for others it was quite offensive to them elsewhere in the scriptures the charge is leveled that you have held back you have rather pushed off kept from coming to the temple, those who would make it a household of prayer for all nations. The structure of the covenant of grace is one that is meant to grow. We read in the Old Testament that 
that the woman who lives in the house is to open up the boundaries of the tent, spread it open. Why? Well, when you're a couple and you're newly married and you like to camp, a two-person tent will do. We're getting ready to go camp this summer in tents for the first time in a long time. Fingers crossed. And I'm looking at six-man tents, eight-man. You can't get enough. How many cots? How much distance do I need? Is a piece of nylon material enough? The answer to that question is no, not for long. But the church, building, growing, expanding. Jerusalem was not called to be light in order to bottle that light up, to hide behind the walls, to hide within the temple, but to crank it up so that she might, as a shining beacon of truth and goodness and beauty, of real justice, of divine law applied to every part of life, So that men might come and bring their families and say, this is what it means to live in covenant with Almighty God. And she, Israel, had been chosen from among the nations to be that light. And she, particularly, a peculiar nation, uniquely beloved of God, not because she was bigger, but because she was smaller, because she was weak, God made her great, so that in her greatness, men like Paul had says, it is because of my wickedness that God chose me to show that in me, the mercy of Christ, the chief of sinners, Israel had forgotten that she was the chief of sinners. She had forgotten the depths from which she had been delivered. Called out of Egypt. Called out of Babylon. Called time and time again because of her own rebellion she had been called. Despite the grace of God radiating within her, she continued to seek the cucumbers of Egypt and to whore after the gods of pagan nations. And of her, John writes earlier in that Revelation, chapter 17, she was a harlot, an unfaithful, wayward bride. And because she had forsaken the giver and the blessings of the covenant, right? this is how you know your heart is hardened. When the promises that God promises to you aren't rich anymore. Children, one of the things your mom wants for you as she prepares meals is not that you just sit down and eat, but that you enjoy it. I think that's right. At least that's what I want. I'm fitting the bill after all, right? And it ain't a cheap thing. It is costly to prepare Blessings that are part of covenant faithfulness. And so when we look at the gifts that God has given us, he has made us rightly to look at them and to be enchanted and allured by them. And he gives the best gifts. Christ himself said this. Would a a father give a child a serpent if he asks for an egg? 
Even wicked fathers give their kids good gifts. How much more your heavenly father who has given to you the spirit. The one who brings us into divine fellowship with God and with each other. But if you do not love the kinds of gifts that God gives, it is a testimony of the wretchedness and wickedness of your own heart. Now, what are the kinds of gifts that God gives? He gives righteousness. He gives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And if those things are detestable to you, They are evidence of a heart that has been given over not only to idolatry, that is worshiping another god besides God, but your heart is given over to the things that the idol wants to give you. It's Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom, and you keep going to Lady Folly's house. Israel had rejected the gifts of God. They were no longer sweet to her. Just as our affections may grow cold, if you're in a relationship with someone and you're courting, dating, whatever the terminology is you choose to use, you're endeavoring to say, hey, is this relationship going to work out? And then it becomes very clear to you, no, this is not it. All of those expressions of affection that meant something in the beginning don't mean as much anymore because you've said, this is not the one. All of those testimonies of divine affection. Israel, I love you. You are my bride. Meant nothing to her. Because she no longer listened to the voice of her covenantal husband. She had forsaken the giver and the things that he could give. She didn't want to live in the house with him anymore. She didn't want to be married to him anymore. She cared nothing for those things. Those expressions, not only of affection, but also warning, fell on deaf ears. And in fact, not only deaf ears, but there were times in Christ's own ministry where he began to preach and they would stop up their ears and they would scream and they would attribute to Christ the works of Satan himself. This is what Jerusalem had become, we see in those opening verses. Babylon, the great, is fallen. She has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. What keeps the cage clean? What keeps the city holy? And Christ cast out those demons. There was nothing left. And the warning is, if you cast out one, many will come. If we are not filled with the Spirit, we are what? This is the problem with modern-day technocratic paganism. It looks like self-care, but it is the opening up of your soul to demonic possession and activity. And it's everywhere. And just because people are doing it on Instagram and you have all these influencers that are giving their Enneagram number, it is pure, straight from the pit, satanic influence. Now, stay away from that garbage. It is not good. 
And the reason why these things constantly recycle and come up in our culture is because Satan is cunning and is crafty in the way that he wants to get his hooks into you. Especially if you bear the name of Christ. Because Satan's whole mission is to do what? It is to mar in those who are made specially in the image of God anything that speaks of Christ's lordship, his kindness, his beauty, his compassion, his patience. And the whole city of Israel had become filled with the enemies of God. She had done the inverse of her calling. She had become the harlot. And not only had she been led astray, but she had become the instrument by which other nations went astray. Here is how the church in America will know that they are prepared and are experiencing revival. They will stop blaming other institutions for their failure. And they will seek the Lord and say, Lord, how have we erred in not bearing witness to the truth and the glory of your word? It is very easy to say, it's those guys. It's them. It's the left. It's the blue. It's the libs. It's whomever. Name the object against which you stand apart and say, it's them, it's them, it's them. It's always them. And God looks at you and says... I'm knocking on your heart, and I'm asking you, will you open the door and let me come in and do the washing and the renewal that is necessary for you to shine a bit brighter than you are? Because the church today is dangerously close, in the West in particular, to becoming like the church as it was in the days of Jerusalem at the fall of that great era, at the end of that great era. And so in Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, did that covenant promise cease with the end of the nation of Israel? No, it's not over. We have become, in the West, a passenger seat rider in the events of human history. And we say, leave it to these experts, we'll just do this thing over here. Now what I'm trying to tell us, what I want us to see, is that we have, as the church, not just a role in the establishment of the gospel light in every tribe, tongue, and nation, we are the only ones who can do it. UNICEF is not going to do it. Right? These secular institutions will not promote the glory of Christ. They cannot. They've not been given that commission. Neither are parachurch organizations going to do it. They cannot, for they have not been given that responsibility. To whom has the responsibility of being salt and light been given? Zechariah 8. 
But now, the Lord says, I will not treat the remnant of this people as in former days, says the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all of these, and it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. How then do we show the light? We let the salvation of God that is given to us be evident in the way in which we talk and live. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That God chose to show to me the chief of sinners, mercy, so that in me his abundant grace can be shown. Israel rejected this call. She's been judged for a lot of reasons. We see a lot of charges. But the one that we see here now is she was once a place where people went for enlightenment, understanding the knowledge of God, and she had completely rejected that call so that she became the place she's Vegas. Not Geneva. What happens in Vegas? No, it doesn't just stay in Vegas, does it? She had become a city. Well, sin city. And the fall is tremendous. There is no city in the history of man like Jerusalem. And there never will be again. A city, a nation that was once beloved of God, particular, unique. And she rejected all of that for the favor of Rome and other kings. And not only did she desire their favor, but as the one who was made by God to influence the nations for good, she influenced the nations in a wicked way. And just as she was called to have a particular light, she shone a particular darkness. This is the influence that God has woven into the moral universe, the, one, the world in which he was made, that the church, whether she likes it or not, has an integral role in the shape of the spirits, the souls of men. And so the call... The call to the early church and the call to us today is in light of this great judgment, get out of the city. Get out. The hurricane's coming. The storm of God's wrath is coming. Now Christ said this in the Gospels. Get out of the city. Here he warns the early church again, not only to get out of Jerusalem as a geographical place that it will be destroyed by Rome, but to get away from her idolatry. As it relates to religion, don't go the way she went. Flee from her immorality, her covenant infidelity. Because what is happening is that God is about to level her in terms of judgment. And so, historically, this is a particular call to those who John was writing to, stay out of the city. But this is also a call to the church in every age to do what? Don't presume upon the grace of God that just because you were once blessed by him that those blessings can be continually experienced when you reject him. And what is the, grace, the great enticement? What is the great idolatry? Well, we see it in verse 3. 
And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And then, verse 7, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in this same measure give her torment, ter- torment and sorrow. She sought and worshipped the creation and not the creator. She was willing to make truces, alliances with her eternal soul for the sake of the wealth of the world. And this is so tempting. And this is right now how the world gets its hooks in you. I will promise you a life of ease, but first you must sell me your soul. You know, Jacob thought this way. He thought the grace and covenant of God would be extended to him if he could but barter for it with stew. That's what Jacob did. In fact, this is what men always do. They think that the covenant blessings of God can be bought and paid for. This is what Christ accused Israel of when he overturned the tables. This is applying marketing to the gospel. And it is a tendency, it is an age-old habit to forsake the righteous call of the kingdom for the wealth and allurements of this world. Oh, how far she had fallen from the tender days of her youth, how desperate and wicked she had become. And the full testimony and fruit of her waywardness is that she not only rejected her Redeemer, but she taught others to do the same. Not a light, but a guide, a blind guide to men towards misery. And here Christ's clear warning is amplified, that he brings destruction. And so it is essential for us in our practice of true religion to see why Jerusalem was destroyed. It wasn't the machinations of Rome. God used Rome, another wicked nation, and they fell for many of the same reasons that Israel did, under the weight of their own moral corruption. How can we stand if the foundation is eaten from, uh, from below us. And she says, even, even here, I sit as queen and am no widow. Oh, the blindness. For their covenant Lord has divorced himself from her. But I am still queen. Queen of what? No queen, for she had been forsaken by Christ. And so the warning is, come out from her. This is a warning. But instead what? Well, how do we flee from the wrath of God that is to come? By hiding in the one who makes us safe from that wrath. Do we not see this in the Passover? Do we not see it at the table this morning? While all the world says and is prideful that they will drink of the judgment of God because they believe that the houses they have built on sand can stand against him, and they cannot, for let us remember Jerusalem. Let us remember Rome and Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar and all of these great men who build fortresses devoted to the honor of men. Let's remember Babel. 
And are we not still building buildings like that? All to the glory of man. Is it not all fake? Is it not alchemy? Is it not absurd? Is it not a kind of life that flies in the face of the truth that God has revealed to us and the greatest thing that we can do as saints in a world that endeavors to imbibe the poison is to give them the clear living water of Christ's word? And so Jerusalem is a warning and a clear sign of something greater. And that is of the final judgment. Why is John writing this then to the church? Because I'll be honest, I'm 47. How many sermons am I through here? 47 sermons through Revelation. And I'm going, guys, I'm tired of getting worked up over bad news every Sunday morning. I'm not. Actually, I love this book. But I feel like in the West, in the modern days, all we ever want to hear is good news. Why is that? It's because we're soft, we're weak. It's the Disneyfication of all news and entertainment. But the rest that we are to have can only be accomplished once we have left the city for whom there is no rest. Just let me be here on the Titanic while the musicians play me all the way to the bottom. That's what we're saying in a world like ours where we have rejected the true, clear teaching of God's word and we say, just just stop bothering me. Leave me alone. Do you not do this? I do this. I don't want to meet with that guy from the church because he's going to ask me questions. And if he asks me questions, then I'm either I have to go to tell the truth, and if I lie, I'm going to feel you know what I'm talking. The kind of accountability that we need, the kind of heat that comes, iron sharpening iron. Ladies, when you spend time with one another, when the church rubs up against the world and there's no heat, guess why? Because you are nothing different from the world. This is not the way it ought to be. And so there is a warning throughout Revelation that Christ will repay all those who reject his offer of salvation. And connected to this warning, there is an invitation. Do not forsake these warnings. Do not ignore them, but seek salvation in Christ. And then there is a clear offer. Come. As we often joke here, get on the boat. Get inside the safe refuge that is Christ. But there are still some who are perfectly content living within that kind of city. And you know who the most dangerous ones are? It's those churches who even now call men to follow God, to seek a moral and upright life, but then promote paganism in the form of environmental insanity. Listen, there was a church just minutes from my house that was celebrating the winter solstice. You know what that is? It's a pagan holiday. For what reason? Because they have lost the sure foundation of God's word. Who promote unnatural relationships between men and women in the form of same-sex mirage who ordain women as clear and direct violations against this teaching of Scripture, who don't speak of sin or repentance and cannot therefore offer salvation because there's nothing to be saved from, who reject the Word of God as the standard for faith and practice, who reject the blessing of the Lord's Day and the rest of which it speaks in Christ Jesus, who promote virtue without repentance, 
No clarity of orthodoxy who send their children away from them even as they draw near the Lord in worship. I'm talking about children's church. What is that? It's daycare for religious people. And you know what your children learn there? Nothing compared to the glorious riches that are found in the worship of the saints. And the fact that that does not bother people when it is done to their own covenant children says something about what they think of the world, doesn't it? If you don't even care enough about your covenant children to... Listen, I get the challenge. Well, I don't actually. Because I'm always up here. (laughs) I know it is tough. But there is something sweet in putting up with the weaknesses of our covenant children that prepare us to be faithful evangelists with others, to others, those who are just as spiritually sophisticated as our toddlers that can't seem to sit still. And they want to bring these instruments of salvation that are just reworked social justice programs. And to what end? To confuse the gospel with health, wealth, and prosperity. What does Christ say to the rich man or about him? It is easier. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what we often see in the West, in the church, even in this country, and we are not immune from this temptation, and your pastor is not immune is bigger, faster, stronger. But towards whom? Towards what? What kind of city do we wish to build? And who stands at the center? For if Christ is not there in the house, who are they meeting? To whom will they come? This was the great offense of Israel. They had neglected being that kind of city. And so Christ in his wrath, in his justice, in his righteousness, lays that city low so that she might be for us a perpetual example. Don't go the way of Jerusalem. Don't do it. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness because the fact of the matter is this. If we sow in wickedness, we will reap the judgment of God. This church, and I pray God's mercy and grace, we are 13 years old. How many more hundreds of years? I don't know. But wouldn't it be sweet that for the 300th year anniversary for Reformation OPC, that we can look back and say, we've had a lot of issues People have come, people have gone, we've had turmoil, we've had tension, we've had all this strife, because those things afflict men. Do they not? It's coming. Attacks from within and without. But we have stood upon the word of God. We have never remained silent. We have always said, this is who our Lord is. And for that reason, Christ comes to us, not to visit us with destruction, but what? Well done. Those are the only two kinds of cities there are. Those are the only two types of churches there are. Those who will be destroyed 
and those who will be rewarded. Let's pray. Lord our God.